and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 94. This is part two, um, this kind of look I've been doing at albums I've enjoyed from 2021, so realised um, over the course of recent episodes, I've not really been paying attention much to modern releases, and there's been quite a few I've enjoyed so far. I thought it'd be fun to go through them, so this would be like the second 15 um, albums. This is basically all the music I've actually bought at this point. There's no kind of ranking to this, and not being in this is no insult to any uh, any great albums that aren't there. I just haven't got to them yet. There is much I need to catch up on. So one thing I want to note before we go any further, this or well, want to make an announcement on is, so for the last like year and a half, I've been pretty good for putting out the episodes consistently once every two weeks. Now like lockdowns ending in the UK I'm actually starting to do stuff again I don't feel I'm going to be able to stick to that routine um I'm going to commit to recording at least once every four weeks and getting a new episode up if that session I can make two episodes out of which I think will often be the case I'll still be those will still go out over a fortnight but otherwise yeah it's going to stop uh it's going to Slight closer to a monthly schedule. I'm sorry about that, but as a one-man operation, like I can't really commit to that as I'm now doing more stuff socially and, and also trying trying to do music stuff on the side as well. So, yeah, the, the best I can manage now is yeah a slightly less uh, frequent release schedule. Still very much committed to sticking with this for for as long as people are still interested in listening. Um, yeah, so so let me know if that's going to be a problem. Um, hopefully, hopefully I won't lose all the listeners overnight with that. Anyway, on to um, what I've been listening to in 2021. So, going to go for for a big one, which I think a lot of you will have checked out or at least be meaning to get to. It's a it's a pretty recent release. This is Panopticon and again into the light. So I'm pretty sure you'll all be familiar with Panopticon at this point. Um, US-based one-man black metal project that takes in a lot of kind of uh, Americana and American folk influences. Aaron Lund, the man behind it, is a multi-instrumentalist genius. Uh, a big fan of the last time we put out. I, I, you know, I've enjoyed the last few in general, but Scars of Man and a Once Nameless Wilderness uh, back in 2018, I, I thought was absolutely spectacular. Um, what's really, what's, what's kind of interesting to follow on from that, it was that album was a double album where the second half was this, you know, proper kind of country and blues sort of music with, without really much of a hint of metal. And again, Into the Light seems far less in that direction. Although there is like sort of a really big build before we actually get into the kind of death metal, uh, death metal, black metal stuff in this album, um, four minute intro actually does feel more in the vein of Skulls of Man Part 2. And then uh, Dead Loons, the second track, starts in almost like a kind of doomy manner for the opening four or so minutes before going into the full-blown blasting, um, amazing guitar work, high kind of faraway vocals. The sounds you're used to from Panopticon, particularly, you know, if you're in downs like uh, Awesome Eternal or, or Roads to the North. Like, it, it's a continuation of of that kind of sound, I'd say. They, it's one I'm still digesting. It only came out on the 15th of May, and it's 70 minutes long, so there is a lot to take in here. But what I can say at this point in time is, I, I think this is absolutely brilliant. I, I do think this is easily going to sit up there with uh, Aaron Lund's best work to date. There's um, 
some real highlights. Like, I, I love that as like, Dead Loons, the first like full-length track on this. When it gets into the black metal part, his lead guitar work is is getting better and better with each each um, release. I am loving like all that extra guitar element he's adding in there. The, everything has his sort of like trademark kind of um, a very natural feeling recording. I, obviously, I know like with all the artwork, the lyrics, that's what they're trying to invoke. But it it does well at that. It's like, it's like the Wilson refrain thing where you 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 feel like you're kind of outdoors in this kind of sound. The cover again, leaning into that with his kind of field of, of flowers. There's there's a lot of a lot of moments to really enjoy in this. Like I I don't think there's a point where it lost me in its runtime. And for for such a dense album, that is incredible. Um, Matt Wilberley, who um, previously of Punishing Brutality podcast and uh, Panopticon super fan, I was talking about this and point out the the closing track No Hope, as in. K-N-O-W is like a real highlight from this album and yeah I totally agree with him on this it's a kind of uplifting song for um you know Penobscot are all often a band who they're, they're kind of extremely negative in a lot of ways like they cover very dark topics you look at like an album like Kentucky is is dealing with like the harsh realities of um of the, those mining communities back in the day and I think, you know, trying to draw parallels to, to modern life and that kind of the way capitalism eats away at things and and it's nice to hear and end an album in a way that was kind of more uplifting. I don't think it's the first time they've ever done anything like this, but it's yeah, there was something pretty special about that closer. Overall though, it's it he's just getting better and better at what he does. Like I I can't get past like like the level this would be impressive musicianship wise if it wasn't one man. If this was a full five piece, that would still be incredible. But there's one guy who's credited with vocals, guitar, electric lap steel, pedal pedal steel, square neck resonator, bass, drums, keyboards, banjo, mandolin. All in there. And what's nice about this one as well, like that step away from Scars, which was like the heavy half and the light half, this is all, it's nicely melded together. So we've got stuff like mandolin and banjo, but they're over heavy sections. So you get that kind of like twang in some of those bits. And we're also um, joined by a violin and cello player who are used to tremendous effect on this. Some of the, the kind of lead touches they add over certain parts, that kind of really fast violin work that sometimes comes in over a blast beat. I something about that sound just works so well for me. Um yeah, this this is an album that sort of has just immediately got incredibly under my skin. Like it's just sat with me so well. And and I, I love watching like or hearing I should say Aaron increase in ability everything he does. His his clean vocals have have got better than they ever were before on this like just yeah everything is up to 11 still need time to digest it not sure if it's it's going to sit as my favorite of theirs but it certainly has a chance of that and and if you've never given panopticon a go they now's a better time to any than any to start with them like yeah really you've, you've got to hear this
so from an album I was completely expecting to be good to one that kind of took me by surprise. Don't know why, it's an Ivoid Hanger release, I seem to always have time for this. This is the one-man project from Australia, Midnight Odyssey, with uh, Bioloom Part 2, The Golden Orb. So, uh, Midnight Odyssey seems to have been going for quite a while, like credits it being around since 2007, um, and they are like another multi-instrumentalist. This is, as the title was suggest, a follow-up to Bioloom Part 1, or Bioloom uh, Part 1, another kind of interesting release on this and genre wise they um they are a real mix like at their core i'd say there's a kind of like classic heavy metal slash uh progressive metal but there are elements of black metal in this there's element definitely some doom in there and some some real folk metal in places the um the best way to describe it is, is just describing the first, like, ten minutes of the album. So it starts off with these kind of, like, epic synths and uh, Dispatter, uh, the, the kind of instrumentalist and vocalist behind this, comes in with these beautiful clean vocals. He has an amazing, just totally epic voice. And so over it's this quite kind of... Um, almost melancholy melodic intro that then gets more and more triumphant and builds up with this kind of drum rolling kind of thing going on underneath it and like that gets more and more bombastic and over the top with his vocals going to the next level the, the synths on this sheet these huge um i'm going to use the word epic a lot in this review but it is very very kind of like there's, there's a majesty to this this is a really just big album and that, that, that build keeps happening with the, the that huge synth sound and the guitar comes in more and more and we start approaching kind of something that's more resembling yeah, kind of your classic well keyboard driven classic heavy metal then kind of out of nowhere we just end up in this really riffy black metal section he kind of he changes from that kind of amazing cleans he's been doing into a really harsh scream and then that trades back and forth for a bit with these great melodic cleans um and the whole album has all of that in there as i say moving from black metal moving into stuff that is is certainly more folk metal influence like the this really like like interestingly for an australian guy it really put me in mind of like a lot of kind of scottish sounding folk music which um yeah interesting thing to uh to invoke uh oh i should also say the album is monumentally long it is a a free disca um just shy of two hours in length the opening track uh dawnbringer is this 20 minute long epic but what is incredible about an album of this extreme length and as i say it's three discs realistically this could be two discs but i think it's just an aesthetic thing breaking up into three but this guy is worthy of his 100 minute plus like this is a gigantic concept album where i said he's really written music good enough to to hold your attention for that much time i, I will confess i rarely listen to it all in one sitting um i struggled to get through a 60 minute long album without it being interrupted uh a a hundred minute one is a challenge i have definitely listened to the first five tracks a hell of a lot more than the last four um but that's that's not a problem honestly if you bought this album and only ever listened to the first two songs dawnbringer and the saffron flame which is about half an hour runtime um 
you could have an amazing time. That would be enough. Like this is so well written, so well performed. It's just great. It's really, really cool. But there's so much more to come. There are uh, interesting moments where he takes things down a notch. Like uh, Aurora Burning really has like a kind of very melancholic, uh, subdued vibe before we we build back up for the the unconquered star. And it, the whole kind of run of this album is worthwhile. And actually, so this was my in with the band. I hadn't heard them before. I, as much as with the concept album, you should probably start a Bioloom parts one. The, you're only going to miss out on elements of the story, which is a really cool story. I won't try and summarize it here. It's um, a bit too in depth for a lot of um, uh, kind of very over the top, kind of seemingly kind of biblical themes. Works really well with the kind of the delivery, but you, you're going to miss out on that if you don't don't go for part one. But there's a lot to be enjoyed about that. Um, and I would highly advise just give the song Dawnbringer a go. I mean, it's 20 minutes, so that's more than you need to commit to most albums. But yeah, start with that and just try us out because I wouldn't let any of those genre elements put you off. Like, there is so much of everything here. There should be something you can latch onto. And, and honestly, for most listeners, you're going to like his clean vocals or you're going to not. I, I, I think they're truly incredible, but... They are, I guess, a unique style. Something I really enjoy about this, it has a cover artist I am incredibly fond of, um, Elijah Tamu of um, of uh, uh, Panagyrus fame. Uh, I Void Hangers kind of resident artist has done the cover for both this and the part one of the series, and they are covers that sort of relate together and have repeating themes. And I, I, I think this is some of... Uh, uh, Elijah's stronger work, absolutely like it, brilliant over the top stuff. Regret not buying a t shirt of this one, but I already own far too many um, Ivong Hanger t shirts. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite finds of the year so far. Really, really incredible. Um, I, I again, I can't believe it's another one man project. Should give warning though, if you are going down the uh, trail of getting into Midnight Odyssey. He has a lot of variation in style. Um, so he put out two albums in 2020 between part one and two of Bioloom, which I think are both kind of ambient dungeon synthy stuff, like or even like verging into drone territories, which personally does nothing for me. Nothing against doing that. Like I think if you're into that style, there might be something there. But yeah, like that that's um, that didn't really work for me. So yeah look up what you're getting into with stuff because like, there's a lot of variation don't expect it all to be of this nature
So the next album, I think Strictly is actually a 2020 release, but um, was put out on uh, Edge Circle Productions in January 2019 as a more kind of official release, as far as I can tell. This is the Chilean band Demoniac uh, with their second album, So It Goes. And these guys play an incredibly technically proficient version of like black and thrash metal, that kind of like angry aggressive in your face like screaming end of thrash metal like thrash at its absolute pinnacle for me and they do it with such like just amazing ferocity should say when looking up demoniac um there's quite a few ba few bands by that name remember to look for the chilean one avoid um sam topman of dragon force's old racist black metal band um by the same name and the, the myriad others, I've not checked out those ones. Um, yeah, but like back to back to the the great demoniac from Chile. This album just blew me away on first listen. It it is just you know black and fresh metal done amazingly well. But the musicianship is spectacular. There's all this awesome bass work. When it comes to the solos, the two guitarists are absolutely face melting. Yeah, the Altes, the vocalist, has this fantastic like rasping scream the whole thing is like this full pace like just real intense experience but then it takes some really interesting left turns like the first first two tracks you kind of like i think i've summed up what they're going to sound like but then in track three extraviode um there is a melodic clarinet section i believe it's clarinet um but yeah there's like a a melodic, uh, it, like, an instrument you wouldn't expect on a Thrash album that totally fits. And that melody continues over the heavier parts of the album. And you just go like, oh, not only are these guys brilliant at doing these genres, they are absolutely genius writers. They have they have worked something into the sound that is um, that has never been done before. And then, like, you know, the final track, the title track, So It Goes, is this 20-minute epic where that instrument reappears and there's more of these melodic sections. And they're a band who make a 20-minute long thrash song work, which is so rare. Like, you look at, say, sort of recent era Exodus, um, and it's this incredible, like, you know, thing that thrash kind of breaks if you cross, like, the six-minute mark. But these guys, they found a way to, this, like to keep combining riffs to make it entertaining for that length of time. I mean, absolutely spectacular. The the album cover really fits the aesthetic, this kind of um, tarot-type uh, harvester figure. Um, yeah, really goes with the kind of nasty, but ever so slightly blackened uh, nature of the music. Overall, though, for me, the real highlight of the show is... Um, Vincent Pereira, um bass playing like I, he stands out. He cuts through the mix in such in a way I love the sound. Like the the way the guitars are mixed, they don't really dominate things. Much like say um, that Cryptic Shift album from last year. Like there's loads of room left for the rhythm section and vocals. You don't have that sort of wall to wall chunky guitar sound like a lot of um thrash metal goes for these days this is far more kind of spacious and, and kind of quite real feeling um i wouldn't be surprised if this, this man haven't tuned down from from e standard like it kind of it has that kind of nature to it and also like a, a more old school tone to the guitars which don't quite fill up the sound but what that is then made up of is this incredible bass playing which is often doing something very different to the main riff like 
particularly in the title track, like the last five minutes of that, he goes off into some really interesting territory, doing some quite like fancy playing. And j just amazing tone that fits the sound so well as as well as like playing at least like next level stuff, you know, for a bass player to be as interesting as the guitar work in a music that is this fast is is incredible. Uh, the vocals, as I mentioned, like have that fantastic kind of like black and fury to them. And when the lead guitar comes in, it is just so perfect. You listen to like the solo section in the trap, like the just like incredibly skilled shredding, but just so tastefully written. It's it's just. There isn't a foot put wrong on this album. It is a near perfect example of the genre. So I'm probably going a bit long on these reviews. I'll try and speed up the next few. Next up is a band I've been fond of for a really long time. This is Australia's Stargazer. That's one word, Stargazer, with Psychic Secretions. So Stargazer are a three-piece black metal band who, um, their kind of, for want of a better word, gimmick in black metal is, the, as a power trio, the main prominent instrument is the bass playing, like the incredible bass work of... He goes by the Great Righteous Destroyer, who I believe, if I'm not wrong, is also the vocalist of Mournful Congregation. So he does um, bass and vocals, and then Serpent Inquisitor is on guitar and vocals. Now, so these guys have been long running. They go back to 1995, like, um, although their first full-length album is 2005. Only put out four releases, four full-length releases so far. And all kind of in that, that kind of vein of the the kind of really technical bass work over very, very occulty, um, I don't know, kind of atmospheric and very, there's got a very dark nature there, music. There's something, there's something kind of magical with a K about it. And really the song titles and stuff like that certainly, certainly lean into that. And their, their full releases have all been in a vein, but they're, they're very unique to Stargazer. No one sounds quite like them. So 
that I might have to wait five years for each album or seven in this case. Um, but it's always been worth the wait. Now, the big change in the lineup is they have a new drummer. Um, Alan Cadman has joined them. Uh, their long-term drummer left them in 2019. Alan previously is uh, of a band called Alters, who put out one album, apparently still active though, um, back in 2013, called Paranesia, which is utterly incredible. Highly advised that you go back and check out the, the Australian band Alters. Like that, that release is is pretty special. But back to the Stargazer, um, this change in lineup seems to have no effect on their creativity. This is yet another wonderful release from them. I, I just really like the sound of these guys. They are ridiculous season pro, the other two guys in the band. They're both in Black Cauldron Ram, mentioned Mournful Congregation, uh, all hundreds of bands. Like they, These guys have so many albums under their belt. It's it's no wonder they take so long between each uh each Stargazer release. Uh, and this album keeps playing on that, that kind of main theme of the almost kind of lead bass, these incredible... Um, which, is, as a bass player, is just the thing that always grabs my attention. But otherwise, it's just really well-constructed, very unique-sounding um, black metal. I think the unique... Other than the unique... The touch that sets this one apart from the previous ones, actually, is the, um, is the closing track, Pilgrimage, where... Things get far more um, melodic and and kind of stripped back in a way, and there's clean vocals, and it, it really works as a closer. I hope I'm not wrong in this, but I think it's the first time they sort of properly lent into the clean vocals, because normally you have the really interesting trade-off of the the low and high vocal, the Arkham and Faustus kind of thing going on, where there's like one more brutal death metal voice and there's one more kind of clearly black metal voice. And I also I love this; it really sounds like a power trio. The guitar leaves so much space for the great righteous destroyer to uh to to do his job. Also, I realise I've named the drummer; he he goes by Chronomancer in this band so pretty sure stick with that once again it's it's a cool cover for them um most of these most of these releases i've been really into this year i swear i'm i'm buying just by looking at the covers this is a good one but it's not their best stargazer have always sort of had some pretty special album covers this one a bit more um a bit more toned down than some of their more more extreme ones overall though if you've never heard stargazer brilliant start point if you want a bit more bass in your black metal these guys have the most bass in black metal you can have Amazing, there was no 
next band I want to cover is the UK band Five, the Hierophant, with their second album, Through the Orient Void. They're a kind of weird one. They're a mixture of doom, black metal, and kind of like dark, jazzy stuff. Lineup is guitar, bass, drums, and saxophone. I think they have a guitarist in there. Um, yeah, and what's just struck me about the album that I don't think I'd ever really noticed before is there's basically no vocals on it. Like, all their kind of lead sort of stuff is done by the sax at the centre of it. And the songs are kind of centred around a core that is is quite doomy. This, like, massive drum and bass sound. Like, the bass guitars are so huge on this. And I think I'm not wrong in this. I, I can't find where I found this now, but I believe it was recorded by Chris Fielding of... Um, of Conan, who, like, he yeah, has a London-based studio, and he's done an amazing job making this sound as huge as it does. Like, really incredible in that regard. And it's just a really unique song. Like, they, they, they kind of, uh, they take their time with things. Like, th there's great builds and falls, but what, what I think really sets it apart is that it's the saxophone melodies in there. It's those. Using it's, it's extremely melodic use of the, the saxophone, but it's not it's not there for solos like it appears in a lot of metal, and it's not doing the the Jürgen Monkey be like very jazzy over the top thing. Heard Shining's new single recently. I might have to change what I think doing the Jürgen Monkey be thing is, but yeah, Jürgen of Shining like him when he was on Black Jazz and on Ishan's like after. It's not doing that like really intense like weirdness. It's it's just these great slow like long held notes on it. The album is incredibly hypnotic. Now the 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 band name for the Hierophant it's a it's a tarot reference. The, this all has again it's another another band with a very occulty vibe, but it's extremely different to to the the other two I've mentioned in in this group that has that kind of nature to it. It's it's a, it's a totally different energy. It's just. I don't know, it just fits. Like These guys are incredibly good at creating that atmosphere. The the songs are definitely very meditative, like trance-inducing kind of thing. Um, they're bad. I'd, I'd love to see live with that, that kind of that line-up um, with all the different instruments they've got there. That would just be, you're not going to see a, a lot like this. And I think the album's well worth checking out for, for that reason alone. Um also, for a kind of primarily Doom album, um, not too long. It's only fifty minutes. Like they don't, they don't piss around too much. They don't have those huge sections of just feedback or anything like that. This is very tightly crafted, well honed Doom at its core. Even if there is that oddity of like the the blackened influence and the 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 jazz influence in there. Yeah, just a, a really amazing group. Um, like, I th there are vocals in there and that, so it's, it's not a truly instrumental album if that is something that would put you off. Just, yeah, just really kind of um, hypnotic stuff. I, I find it, it's an album that's hard to pick out individual moments I love because I just get into the overall kind of sound and energy of it. It's um, one of those albums that just sort of transports you somewhere and uh, kind of fits with, with, with the... Like, it was seemingly the... The themes, like at least based on the the cover art and so on, another one with a very cool cover. I'm pretty sure I'm primarily buying albums based on the cover art at this stage, but so far in this episode, that doesn't seem to be doing me wrong. So yeah, if if you never heard them, uh, check out Five of the Hierophant. They they really have something unique going on there.
So another album I've been enjoying, or actually set of albums, is the latest release from Portal. So by this point, I think a lot of you will probably know whether you're going to like Portal or not. They're, um, they're a very divisive band, and I don't think their latest release of Owl will do much to... Uh, persuade you one way or the other they for those for the uninitiated um portal are one of the really like relatively early of that group of highly experimental um just really dark nasty sounding death metal kind of before the wave of like dissonant death metal became such a thing and up there along with death spell omega for like the big influence on a lot of bands are making that kind of just pushing metal into that very weird scary place like a lot of um a lot of modern particularly extreme bands are exploring and they do it through a, a brand of like weird technical guitaring with incredibly harsh like very buzzing production and like these proper alien vocals there's like very harsh voice that's kind of sounds monstrous even in the world of death metal vocals the curator has a particular tone i absolutely love but again i think his, his voice is very um you know very polarizing avow i, I don't think it, it's bringing ma anything massively new to their sound i'd say it sits kind of more in the vein of an album like Vexavoid, which i found to be some of their more accessible work it's not like uh ultra or suave which were were very um very difficult albums to like for me to get into initially but i'm kind of very into ultra particularly now um uh, like i like that sound but it, it was this is for portal it's accessible i guess is what i'm getting at here um it is possibly i would say it doesn't feel like it's going to be one of their best or most loved ones for me, but there's a few like interesting twists on it, uh, particularly like the the track "Manner of Speaking," the um, like the, a portal pun title there, which does some interesting stuff by having passages like a, particularly at the end of the song. There's like a two minute long passage which is just one of their guitars like isolated, but because they have this really um, really thick sound to their guitars like by itself it still sounds quite full it doesn't feel like uh like there's something missing but they have that with this just odd distorted screaming voice in the background it doesn't really sound like the curator's normal style at all and i found that particular passage of the song very affecting so this, this album certainly still has its moments of um interesting new stuff to offer but what was really interesting is along with this they released a second album uh hag bulbieber hag bulbieber oh, i have no idea how you meant to say that um that name but yeah which i've seen touted in a lot of places is essentially a drone album and it's like it, it, it sort of is that in a way but i think drone purists would have have issue with this so it, it's portal getting rid of the drums from their sound um and mainly focusing on what i assume is kind of like electronic noise but there are moments of i believe guitar in there and the curator is doing his usual vocal performance over the top of it so it, it's um for someone like me who doesn't really get drone this was a great place to sort of dip my toe into elements of the genre and actually i really enjoy this i probably pretty listened to this more than the the main release just because it is it's, it's a bit different um i i felt that all those elements really came together in an interesting way like i 
I, I think Curator's voice on it gives it a very good handle for um, I did just just more texture, more stuff changing that um, allow me to kind of get my head around it. And and honestly, as the the obvious thing many people have pointed out is it's really surprising it's actually taken till their like seventh album for Portal to attempt something of this nature because they already had such a harsh extreme sound doing something like that really kind of like just distorted staticy noise kind of sound they were you know 90% of the way there this feels like a completely natural progression or natural kind of step for the band to be taking I, I mean I, I hope they don't fully move into this direction I'm sure I, I'm almost certain this is going to be a one-off departure but it was a really interesting release to go alongside um, a vow and kind of a great com accompanying thing because both albums are like under 40 minutes long you can you can listen to them in one session and it I know the two flow together quite well and it, it does feel just like a natural extension of Portal's music so yeah if you do enjoy their sound I'd highly recommend giving giving this um this second album a go because it's it, it's really cool and and a kind of as I say like a easy route into a genre I've always struggled with. So another band in the kind of black and death metal vein or black slash death metal kind of vein I've been really into is Mephestus with their second album off Scourging. So this is an Oakland-based band and they they've been around for quite a while apparently, but it's uh, their second second full-length album and they play this kind of very technically proficient um really kind of complex but also kind of melodic black metal with um lots of like really cool interlocking lead lines very complex bass and drum passages or quite a black metal approach to uh to the vocals it's it's that kind of it's experimental but sort of contained their their songs are always in that similar vein of just lots of very fast interlocking slightly evil sounding melodies and like just immensely kind of um uh, catchy stuff i found it kind of really earwormy this album the kind of level of musicianship is fairly ridiculous but like the thing that really grabbed me with is just kind of how interesting and oddball a lot of the songwriting is like i like there's songs where you try and focus on individual elements and i'm not quite sure how they came up with weaving all this together which i, I find like a really impressive move one thing that is initially off-putting about this is it's got a really odd album cover it's the kind of the bohemian rhapsody four faces but like kind of a a sort of almost drawn version of that of the four band members in black and white like a really odd choice like their previous album had a really cool kind of like rough demolich kind of vibe and it's members of the band doing the covers so like that that's i guess that's pretty cool but yeah it's um it's certainly unique for the genre like i've not not seen a cover like this before and i don't expect i'll see another one like it anytime soon so i guess in a way that's kind of cool it's certainly certainly striking but yeah the album has some cool twists and turns in it by the the third track cosmodrome there's the, like this cool like acoustic interlude um by track five the witherways things get into very prog rock kind of territories i mean it's still heavy but um yeah there's some of that kind of prog rock noodling in there this is certainly one if you you like that kind of very fla fancy flashy guitar work these guys like yeah have that pretty much solidly through the album and yeah just um just a really interesting listen 
this is an album I've been putting off talking about in this episode because I think it's so good, I really want to do it justice. This is Grey Aura's second album, Zvart Vierkant, um, and that is probably going to be the end of me being able to pronounce anything on it. I do apologise. They're a Netherlands-based um, avant-garde, like, experimental black metal band, unsurprisingly. Very much my thing. But th this album has been probably far and away the album I've got most obsessed about this year. Yeah, de it definitely is. It, I've listened to it so many times. But even though relatively short runtime, I still feel like there is more to understand in here. But it, every listen, this just brings a smile to my face. It is um, four musicians playing this incredibly kind of complex, ever-changing black metal with a lot of other influences thrown in, an incredible degree of musicianship. The drumming in particular is um, is spectacular throughout this. Um, this incredibly varied and pa like extremely passionate vocal performance. We'll get to that more later. There's a lot of interesting stuff lyrically to talk about with this album, but I want to focus on the music first because... Obviously, that's the that is the key element for everyone normally, um, and the music is just so amazingly varied. I, I'd say I, I haven't got a direct comparison band because these guys do certainly have their own sound, but there there are moments of this um, that do put me in mind of some of the interesting stuff like Ethelduaf were doing doing sort of, sort of a bit later on in their career like there are moments of descent into like almost uh it's like clean jazz guitar and like the, the 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 fifth track on the album is basically a jazz song for the first few minutes it it sort of gets more extreme in the second half but then there's also moments where they throw in quite um quite folky breakdowns um the the, the second to last track has this the kind of extended very folk kind of section in it um it's complete with actually there's a couple of points in the album uh, a guest trumpet and trombone player who um, get yeah, adds some really amazing bits to some of the more atmospheric um, sections. I do love the addition of horns in in sections where like they're trying to build up like an emotional thing. You can use that to great effect, and this album has a few real examples for, of that. But the 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 kind of the thing I just really automatically engaged with was these these kind of brilliant riffs, kind of with this just amazing drum performance, like, and it just it has this feeling of being, yeah, just totally kind of alien and ever changing. Like, you, even on like fourth, fifth listen, you're still not knowing what to expect next because they just keep varying it. But this variation isn't. Um, total like schizophrenic let's be weird for the sake of it like the Igor approach which I, I like Igor but you know with that band they are they are being weird to get a reaction these songs do feel very calculated and every change is completely logical I just I, I would never have predicted them but it, when it comes it just works and, and songs still have a great groove and catchiness and I think a lot of um, that is really helped by by uh, Ruben Wijaka's vocal performance. Um, his vocals are immensely, like, catchy and engaging. The kind of credits on this album are a bit weird. Like, um, we have... Uh, Ruben is uh, credited with guitar, bass, and vocals. Um, 
then there's another guitarist slash bassist credited, then someone just credited with bass. Um, I think those three are all still in the band. I believe uh, Bass van der Perk, the drummer, has has left now, which is a shame to say because I really, really love the drum performance on this. The album aesthetically is bizarre, and I, I really love it. The um, the front cover is this like beautifully doctored image of like sort of three bodies looking all sort of part of each other on this very abstract colorful background it's a lot of like extremely bright primary colors um kind of yes again just alien to black metal it's such an odd aesthetic for a black metal cover but fits so well so we should probably talk about like the lyrics because they're clearly a huge focus of the band um so Ruben, the the vocalist, um, before this, back in 2019, so I've got a, they released with this, you could buy a version of the album that had a book sort of explaining stuff about it. It's, it's a short 30 page thing. Um, but so he wrote back in 2019, um, a book by the name of uh, Die Protod du Zwartaden, which, is there a song in the album by the same name as that? No, no, I'm being an idiot. But yeah, anyway, so he wrote this book in 2019, which essentially, full story, but he's more or less the concept explored in this album. I, I get that's the impression I get from, from his writing about it. it. As of yet, doesn't have an English translation. My skipping naming most of the songs on this is because none of them are in English. And this, this book's meant to be like a kind of a guide for your English speakers like me who can't can't deal with other languages to get through the album. And yeah, so he this is a guy who literally wrote a novel ahead of ahead of writing this album, which is is utterly incredible, like commitment. And um and it, it's it's very out there subject matter for um for like um for, for for black metal in general. Like it's it's sort of a story of a a sort of someone's journey into uh into sort of becoming obsessed with like abstract art movements and kind of his relationships loves and losses along the way and and what is symbolized by all of them I, i'm just going to be craply paraphrasing the book here but if that sounds like something that's like sort of would be interesting to you it's like extremely pretentious but really well thought out stuff and and just the commitment like of going that far into your lyric writing that you you know there you you've got a book to base it on i, I just find that utterly incredible as someone who who really is a fan of of reading lyrics and to add to this to like push it to the next level for now the album there is um a couple of people credited with voice acting so we get these kind of spoken word sections but they're not something where there'd be a break in the music and then there's some spoken word these are over really kind of um engaging sections of the music you'll just have a a female voice coming in talking impassionately um or like yeah or like just other like, interesting duration and the main vocal performance is really all over the place uh Ruben puts in all these like bizarre technical things his voice is changing all over the place and some stuff that is like full blown like the oddest thing i've i've heard a black metal vocalist ever do like the second track he does this straight this very strange noise towards the end of it that he repeats for a bit and 
yeah, it took me a moment to get my head around, but I am now I now come to absolutely love it. Later tracks, he he does this effect a few times where he sort of um, it sounds like it's an electronically altered thing, where it's like he sort of put his uh, voice through like a rapidly oscillating wah pedal. I just really really bizarre and then yeah as i say the vocal performance totally sells me on it like it is so complex weird but as i said before really really passionate um yeah this gray aura's uh Zvartvik and is is something else it is it is a mind-blowing album that i really think is deserving of attention so from these two episodes if there's anything you go and check out give this one a go it is so out there musically I, I wouldn't pigeonhole this as full fans of black metal it's just, if you want to hear something experimental but deeply thought out like meticulously planned like these guys have a very original ideas but they they have clearly been honing their craft so far i've not dived into the the previous albums to say i i still feel like i'm digesting this one and and it's in that place that they have a debut uh you know six seven years ago now and i'm slightly nervous that it won't live up to how much i love the new one so some point i will have to check that out but for now check out this latest album from gray aura because it, it is utterly unreal <laughs> Next up is one that's a bit of a nepotism corner. This is Enfleshment with their debut demo, Cellar Death. 
So Enfleshment is the project of Stan the Man from Into the Combine, who, if you listen to that podcast, you'll be aware he is the expert on dirty death metal and one-man death metal projects. So no surprise to find out he has a one-man death metal project all of his own. And this this first Enfleshment demo is, is fantastic. It, so it really is, I think, bar the lyrics, he's done everything for it, album cover, uh, mixing, recording, all of this. The drums are programmed, but um, all the guitars and vocals are his own work. And what we get with this is three tracks of really nasty, incredibly kind of old-school, slightly lo-fi-sounding death metal. The opener, Shackles of Torment, starts off with just the one guitar going by itself, so you get a real flavour of that, like, gnarly guitar tone he's gone for. Then the drums and bass comes in, and actually it's got kind of like a chunky mix to it for all the kind of lo-fi aesthetic of it. And then when sound vocals hit, that's where it really kicks off. He does this great high scream to start it, but then most of his screams throughout sit in like a much lower register. And much like the guitars, his whole vocal delivery is just kind of nasty. It fits nicely with that combination of Dirty Death, like slash old school kind of sound. Like It's just like a hefty, hefty sounding song. Things get pretty interesting with the second track, Blood Declaration, which starts off with, kind of in a similar vein, but then the second half, it does the kind of entombed left-hand path thing of putting in some some great kind of horror movie keys and then incorporating that into the, like the final riff, and then third track Descent into Darkness gets a bit slow and hefty at the start before like building up into the proper crushing stuff. And to close it out nicely, we've got a cover of World Without God by Convulse, which well, you know. What death metal fan's going to be unhappy with that? Overall, this is an absolutely fantastic demo. I, I love the tone of it. He's He's got the riffs to back it up. I mean, even with the cover included, it's only 17 minutes of music. So this is this is a short taster. I'm really hoping he can put the time in and put out a full-length album in the near future because this was a, such a good start point. And to make it hyper cool as well, um, he has released these as, as tapes. So you know, printed them all up. These are proper old-style demo tapes that he'll he'll mail out to you if you get in touch through the band camp. Just something incredibly nostalgic for a time I wasn't even alive for in this, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, check it out. Enfleshment's debut demo, Cellar Death. <laughs>
So next up is one I was really excited for. This is Ageless Oblivion with their third album, Suspended Between Earth and Sky. Um, so they've been around for a while. They're a UK-based band doing kind of um, that end of slightly progressive death metal that's very very rooted in being like extremely atmospheric. Like, I guess, yeah, another album that's uh, with more of an atmospheric leaning. And they've been around for quite a while. I think formed in 2009, as I say, it's their third album. But they were always a band where their live show was absolutely incredible and their studio stuff never quite lived up to it. Their, their second album, Penthos, is it, a good album, but like live, I absolutely love them. And the album, I don't, don't revisit anywhere near as much. I remember seeing them... I think about 2015, 2016, playing on the oddest lineup ever of them. Then I think it was Bellwitch, then Ulcerate, and it's still one of my favorite favorite gigs I've ever seen. Utterly incredible, despite the weirdness of going from sort of techie death metal to Bellwitch to even techier death metal. But Ulcerate not a not a completely out there comparison for this band. They don't quite have that. Um, complete incomprehensibility of, of Ulcerate. But yeah, so Ageless Oblivion, you kind of had the classic problem of around that period, their drummer left the band and where they were stuck drummerless for a while. But this year they managed to recruit uh, Daniel Blackmore, who also plays in Shrines with um, Sam from Akakoka and Voices. Uh, so, you know, that often overlapping scene going on there. And they've put out an album that I would say finally lives up to their, their live sound. Like, Ageless Oblivion sound the best they ever have for their, their new release, Suspended Between Earth and Sky. It's, um, I guess you kind of know what you're getting into with that that sort of description of the... It's... I hate to use the word dissonant, but it, it's in the camp of, I guess, what you describe as dissonant death metal. But honestly this is more more melodic than that makes it sound there's a like it's very dark and atmospheric but it's actually quite a melodic and um accessible record in a lot of ways what i really love about it is um vocalist stefan's performance here as i think he was the thing that really made me convinced it was so brilliant live like he's a really imposing frontman on this he just has a great like variety of voices he brings to it like he just has this absolutely excellent scream um which is just really engaging the music features a lot of like um fast like complex rhythm work between the drums and guitars and then like the sort of the lead part is often those kind of like open chords done by one guitar and a slightly cleaner tone over everything like that that kind of a lot of that style but there's a great deal of like changes in pace in there like the the um starts off in kind of um very brutal fashion with the opener in medias res but then by the middle of the album we get to stuff like the sun surrenders its crown it actually goes very kind of doomy slow and like almost sparse in places it's also a nice thing of like they've used a lot of kind of effects and so on to transition the songs into each other so that all the songs sort of fade in and out of each other quite nicely so the album has a really good kind of progression to it so if you like your death metal nice and apocalyptic sounding, you can't really go wrong with a band like Asia Oblivion. Let's move on then to another debut album. This is Sweden's Paranorm uh, with Empyrean. And I've mentioned before I'm very into the style of progressive fresh metal, which seems to be like a real rising thing. Like there was a point in time where I'd only really classify 10 or so bands, I think, in that kind of sound. But now 
loads are like rising up to sort of take that ground and um paranorm very much in that direction and doing it to an immensely competent degree so apparently they've been at since 2008 so they've put the work in leading up to this, this debut album got a few demos and eps ahead of it but empyrean is a very bright like excellently played like real shredding um yeah essentially thrash metal album like you, you listen to the open like critical mass that is that is a classic thrash song like as with a lot of modern thrash it's entirely scream vocals um vocalist and guitarist marcus hilton um has this great kind of uh raspy like it's like kind of throaty growl like he it's really i i'd love this that style of growl over this style of music and what really um really sells this album is the lead guitar work i've said it many times if you want to play thrash metal post about 92 you better shred because that that's just expected now in the genre and and lead guitarist uh frederick uh Kildren, um is just ridiculous uh he's he's playing it but it's it's tasteful like, there's so many songs which are just made by the chorus having this like a lead melody in it that just sounds absolutely brilliant as i say it's a very a very clean and bright album it's like it is one of those performances that sounds like it's absolutely perfectly captured like just everyone it is so ridiculously tight the this kind of the drum and bass work is great but the leaguers are is as i say what steals the show I would say with this album, the progressive tag is maybe maybe somewhat overselling it, but it's certainly highly technical and has that thing. I, I guess what what really classifies it as progressive is the song structures are quite um, quite varied. It's, it's certainly not your your kind of typical verse chorus thrash. Like there is a lot of thrash tropes in this. The you know you'll note like, I don't need to list them. It's it's like a lot of those standard progressions are in there in certain places. But they get creative with the way they string them all together. And, and mainly it's just the quality of it. Like, they've written a load of brilliant riffs, brilliant melodies to go with it. A really tight package. Yeah, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed this album. <laughs>
Next is a band I've got really into their latest release. This is Etheria Conscientia with their second album, Corrupted Pillars of Vanity. So it's a French band playing, I'd say, like, very progressive death metal. And um, I think this band was the source of a debate between uh, me and uh, listener Richard of the band Blood Rust, who um, is done with saxophone in, in extreme metal. There is a lot of saxophone here. If um, it's not something you're into... Uh, yeah, skip this review. Uh, the, the the album even features guest performances by the bass player and the, or sorry, vocalist and slash bass player of uh, White Ward and the saxophone player of White Ward. Um, yes, yeah, so it's it's very much in that camp. But this is I like really well constructive, wonderfully progressive metal. The the opening track, uh, Asphorus Altering Odyssey. Is a 15 minute long song that like builds up slowly from a gentle acoustic passage, getting more and more metallic into this quite like death metal centric center. And then towards the end of the track, we get the more saxophone led like melodicism. I can't help but see like um, comparisons in the way they use sax to maybe a band like Malady. It's not it's not like the melancholy sax of um, of Whitewall to quite the same extent. It has, I mean. You look at the album cover, like the the kind of titles, track, title of tracks, and so on. Um, this band have gone for a very sci-fi leaning. Actually, I really like the album cover. It's um, very comic book style, but uh, yeah, it has a has a lot of uh, cool imagery going on and uh, raises a lot of questions. It's not not a band I've actually delved into the lyrics to enough yet. I I really really need to do it. Too many good albums released this year. But yeah, if you want something in that kind of very progressive death metal vein like um like it it's a lot of that it's it has its moments of showiness but um has quite a quite a kind of melodic edge again like uh this is this is very accessible progressive music um and it just really really nicely crafted these guys are are fantastic musicians and i i picked this up with a copy of their debut as well which is also well worth going back and visiting like um so it started out in 2016 debut is 2018 and conscientia seemed to have really had the sound pretty fully formed by the time the first album came out and corrupted pillars is just just built on that made it more complex more interesting expanded like their kind of technical repertoire the album does know when to get extreme, though. It is not just melodic throughout, say, a track like The Corrupted Sacrament starts off in quite brutal fashion um, before... Like, the guitar thing is quite harsh in a lot of ways, actually, particularly when it's playing like, the lower stuff, like, uh, like that opening couple of riffs. But then it gives way into this middle section, the sax comes in, then all the guitars get very jazzy, and it has this kind of, like, jazzy interlude section. So, again, you don't like jazz, don't like saxophone... This album might not be for you, but if you're into that kind of style, these guys play it very well. The album has a fantastic amount of variation in it, sort of, as I've mentioned, kind of very jazzy moments. There's more the kind of stuff leaning into, like, clean tone, which is a lot more, again, traditional rock, but, like, yeah, very, very melodic sections and moments which really are, like, heavy death metal riffing. And then the, the kind of tremolo picks, like, black metal riffing in places. The the vocal performance is... It sort of does the job, but it's um, it's not really the central focus of it. I feel um, with, with that, that sax there is, like, the kind of extra instrument, because there's two guitarists as well. Um, 
like it's it's slightly background and the sax is more of the kind of noticeable lead thing which i have no issue with i think that that works really well for the sound like it's um yes unsurprisingly the sax use that effect um really does become quite a kind of overpowering presence in the mix but it, the it, the riffs know when to call for it it's um and it's not present throughout it's just like it will come in like every three minutes or so they'll find a riff that works in really neatly especially like sort of crescendos of songs so yeah that's etheria conscientia and probably much easier to spell look for the album title corrupted pillars of vanity super familiar with a lot of this stuff i think i'll do one more album then call it there so let's put another one that i really love from this year i'm gonna go the latest release from spectral law officially their uh fifth full length but the, the you know a one-man black metal outfit from greece who uh has done numerous splits and eps and these aren't your usual splits the split he did last year wanderers of astrology of the nine collaboration with the american one-man black metal band uh mayor cognitum was this two-hour-long, ridiculously accomplished epic. Now, at that point in time, that was that was my introduction to, to Spectral Law. I've covered him since on the podcast. Uh, I Void Hanger episode a while back, we covered the amazing Gnosis EP. Uh, Gnosis is, again, an EP that's almost 50 minutes long, going for a variety of incredible styles. But, say, with Wanderers, the, the last album... Special Law definitely came across as the slightly weaker of the two bands. That being said, that is not not a slur on them. Mercognitum are they, that that guy is one of the best out there in the modern black metal scene. But with their latest release, Spectral Law, 
are, in my book, I'd say easily living up to the latest Mayor Cogniton, which I spoke about with Donovan a few episodes back. Absolutely incredible release. Um, I can't say the title of the new album, so you're just going to have to look up Spectral Laws 2021 release. I'm afraid the, the characters aren't aren't um, on English, so I just don't know where to start with it. But um, yeah, like soul musician Alias has like just outdone himself. Like, so he, the thing about him that was always incredibly notable is he had this like sort of right hand picking technique that just just won't stop. He is a man who can hyper-fast tremolo pick for days. And his stuff was often flavoured with moments of very impressively guitar melodies. Like, the the rest of the instruments he's putting together, incredibly proficient, but it's your kind of more traditional black metal. The drums are primarily blasting throughout, and the bass is, is somewhat lower in the mix, and less often the really notable part of the sound. But his guitar work is what truly, truly sells his style. Actually, equally, his vocals are quite um, kind of high-pitched screams that are off, like nearly always on his albums mixed in such a way that they're quite, they're quite kind of far off and a, another nice texture rather than the real lead thing. The lead thing is all those interlocking guitar melodies. In fact, it took me ages to notice that Gnosis was primarily instrumental, um, just because uh, it's, it's spectral law. I'm not focusing on the vocals and. I'm focusing on the the incredible melodies. But why this latest album is, is so special is, I I think it it at one level it's just a production thing. If the opening track comes in and just sounds immediately huge, um, the, like the, their sound on um the Wanderers split was it was very very raw. It's a, you know very clearly this kind of like home recorded thing where the guitar was. Um, by by design, quite thin sounding. This it feels like the low end is being completely like boosted out. Now a lot of that is probably down to uh, Colin Marston, who's cr- credited with remixing and mastering. Uh, Elos uh, normally records and mixes all his own work, and he's credited with mixing. But I don't know whether Colin Marston added his own seal to give this like the hefty rhythm section you would expect from a. Like, you know, Colin Marston kind of band, you know, your artificial brain, gore guts kind of sound. That over this beautifully melodic, but yet still brutal um, black metal. I, it's a it's a thing to behold. Um, and, like, the, the thing that sells this is, with that production, the guitar work is just fantastic. The first five minutes is like a lead guitarist dream. He goes through all these long melodic passages, and then when he actually starts going for the stuff like that really seems like a solo, uh, God, it, it is face melting ridiculousness. And, it, it, and there's something about that because, like, one band black metal, while often very complex and, uh, you know, has the potential to be incredibly interesting, I don't normally associate it with true virtuosity. It's normally more kind of creativity actually in a lot of ways and not to say spectral law isn't creative but it's just like the thing that is so noticeable about it is like the level he's playing at for one of these guys is is ridiculous especially considering he is taking care of all the other elements of the sound as well i i it just this is easily the best work um well of of the let's say he's got a lot of stuff i've not listened to all of it but of what i've heard this is the most i've been impressed with his his work so far 
it has a suitably bizarre cover this kind of strange image of i assume it's meant to be like a a blind metatron like figure standing uh like up to his waist in a pool of water with with some kind of pilgrim type uh figure of a much smaller scale bow before him it's it's very striking personally i love it but i've heard a lot of people say they absolutely hate this one so i think it's a bit of a divisive one but for me it's certainly striking and what you expect from my void hanger the majority of this album is rooted firmly in the black metal camp though the opening couple of tracks I very much categorise as that. But then we get some interesting influences as it goes on. The Sorcerer Above the Clouds, track four, goes very kind of um, hard rock bombast in places. There's a real kind of, um, yeah, the kind of hard rock heavy metal uh, riffing and uh, lead guitar antics. It's... Um, it's a really welcome change of pace, and they, they still kind of keep it in the black metal category, but I kind of like that when black metal takes on a bit of that classic metal aesthetic, um, or at least kind of riffing in places. For some reason, those two genres seem to gel really nicely, and Sorcerer Above the Clouds is a great example of that. A moment that appeals to me less, and I think is a lot of people's sort of criticism of the album, is the the final 20-minute-long track, uh, Tarian, which is, is is a proper drone track. And unlike with um, unlike with the new Portal release, I didn't get this so much. So Spectral Law, much like uh, something like Midnight Odyssey, some of their releases are, are drone. Like, they, they play around with that style quite a lot. I think that's particularly on some of their EPs. They've they've gone in for that sound and it, it's not it's not something i've learned to appreciate yet i think it's the the right way to put that but realistically doesn't matter at all if you don't like that in slightest this is a 75 minute long album and the last 20 minutes is that style so if you're not into that style just stop it at the trap before this trap before has a great ending and that's a brilliant 55 minute long more than long enough listening experience that is nigh on flawless um yeah the, it's it's wonderful to see musicians at the absolute like kind of top of their game still pushing a genre like black metal forward and what i really like with spectral law as well is he's um quite outspokenly anti kind of fascist and nazism which as we all know black metal scene is kind of rife with i'm, I'm happy that there is someone because i've seen like you know people bitching that you lose a lot of good black metal if you cut out all the the dodgy characters, but it's great to have some black metal where the guy seems seemingly to be really cool and is this fucking good at it. All right, that's probably enough of me blabbering on. As I say, sorry, these these ones are less, the last two episodes have been less well-researched because it's newer stuff. I haven't had time to fully digest it, but I just wanted to share albums I've been enjoying. Um, as I say, I really like to hear what you're all listening to, particularly like... If you have an album like Grey Aura was for me, where it's just like a total obsession of yours from 2021, let me know because, yeah, uh, I've been missing a lot of this. Like, doing the research for these episodes means my kind of weekly listening schedule doesn't often have a great deal of time to appreciate new music. So, yeah, I'd really like to pick up on some of that. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, these episodes might start being a bit less frequent, but I will make sure there is a minimum of one every four weeks um, and more if I can manage it. It's just going to depend on what else is going on, on in uh, my life at the time. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm still still committed to doing this. So if you're still listening and enjoying it, uh, hit me up. Let me let me know, and uh, yeah, let me know your music recommendations for for 2021 so far. Um, you can get in touch at Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. We're at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, um, also on Instagram and Facebook. I tend to check all those accounts fairly regularly, so um, yeah, please, please send send messages over. And if I ever don't respond to you, just message me again because I occasionally miss them. I'm sorry if I if I do just leave you on read and never get back to you. Um, I've done that quite a few times, and I do apologise. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>